Now, it is the week of the crucifixion of Jesus. Things have been going kind of downhill for a while now. Many of Jesus' disciples, you'll find it in John chapter 6, had walked away from him. They had abandoned him. They started rejecting his teaching. They got offended. Jesus even said, you know, blessed is he that does not get offended in me. But they got offended and they walked away from him. Now, what, they were, what were they offended at? What were they upset at? They were upset at the fact that Jesus stopped talking about them. He stopped healing them. He stopped feeding them. His focus was on something else. It was on the cross. So here it is, Tuesday afternoon, and Jesus is walking with his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, and he's telling them that in two days, in the midst of such a joy and celebration of the Passover, he's going to be, number one, betrayed, and that he's going to be crucified. Now, we know what it means, what crucifixion means. I mean, it is, it is evidence that in the Western world, we understand the gruesome death of a condemned criminal on a cross, where it would take days for death, finally, to, uh, to win um, over somebody that was crucified. They meant it to be an agonizing, long, slow death. And it was, it was reserved for the most serious of criminals. We call it the worst of criminals would get crucified. It was a rare event. It didn't happen every day, uh, but it did happen. But what about that betrayal? What's the meaning of betrayal? Now, betrayal is something we kind of think about, but it means to put someone into the hands and the power of an enemy. That's what to betray means. It means to take advantage of someone and then abandon them. You know, we all have that again. Sometimes we do it to somebody or somebody does it to us and we think about it, but once you understand, Jesus, Jesus is the one that's betrayed. It means to sell someone out for your own profit. And it means to turn away from someone when they need you most. Now, neither one of these two events were expected to happen to the Lord Jesus. The disciples never expected Jesus to be betrayed or to be crucified. Um, see, crucifixion is for criminals. Betrayal is for enemies. Jesus was the Messiah. He's the promised King of Israel, and He is. Yet, both lay straight ahead for Jesus, one right after the other, and they were not believing it. You see, what led to the cross was a betrayal. And that's something we need to learn from. He was not betrayed just by Judas. He was betrayed by Peter. He was betrayed by every one of Jesus' disciples. That's a horrible word. It's one of those words you never want to use or ever have used on you. But it happened. It was recorded for our learning. You and I got to understand there would be no cross without the betrayal. And that's kind of interesting. You see, Jesus couldn't just die. He had to die by the betrayal of those he died for. You think about it. Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for people who turned their back on him, rejected him, despised him. Wow. Those are whom Jesus died for. And when you understand that, then you're ready to get saved. And Christian, when you understand that, you're ready to serve God. Because you don't mind failing him. Because that's your nature. What you mind is that you're not serving him and that you're not failing at trying to serve him because he accepted your failures when he died for people who betrayed him. So, here we go. Let's get started on our lesson here. The betrayal, first of all, the biggest thing I want you to learn is the betrayal shocks us. 
It, it clearly exposes every one of us as the reason why Jesus died. The betrayal is not just a dark part of the crucifixion. It's the foundation of the crucifixion. It's the reason for the crucifixion. Jesus was not taken by the Sanhedrin. He was not taken by the Roman soldiers. He was taken by one of his closest friends. The people he trusted. The people that, that ate with him. And the people that, that sat at his feet turned on him. And, and wow, and Jesus called them his friends. So let's take a step back and let's go back and look at the prophecy of the betrayal. Look back there in verse 1. It says, It came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the feast of the is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people under the place, palace of the high priest who is called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. So they're, they're wishing they could catch him. They're wishing they could kill him. But verse 5 says, But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar um, among the people. Now all this, all this is, is part of no surprise to Jesus Christ. He actually said there in verse 2, He says, You know that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed right in the middle of the Passover. It was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. I'll take you to two, uh, take it to, uh, a couple of places, Isaiah 53. If you hold your place here in Matthew, go to Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. The Bible says, He is despised and rejected of men. Do you ever think about those words? Now, I love Him. I know a lot of people who love Him. They worship Him. But the Bible says, He is despised and rejected of men. Wow. The people he died for didn't want him. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. He felt the rejection. And we, notice the we's, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We didn't, we didn't appreciate him. We didn't respect him. So the betrayal was prophesied, just like here, in Isaiah 53, I'll show you another one. Go to Psalm 41. Psalm 41, middle of your Bible. Book of Psalms, chapter 41. In Psalm 41, in verse 9, the Bible says, Yea, this is King David prophesying of a future event. He says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, somebody like part of the family, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread. Notice later on when Jesus is asked who, uh, uh, who is, is the one that betrays you, Jesus is the one who's dipping and eating of bread with me. Which did eat of my bread, have lifted up his heel against me as if to, to crush it. So the fact that the Son of God would come to this world and be rejected and betrayed and abused and killed was portrayed throughout the scripture. Those are just two examples. But even if they didn't understand the Old Testament scriptures pointing to the Messiah being, being rejected and the Messiah being betrayed and the Messiah being, being uh, uh, turned over to the Gentiles, Jesus had over and over and over told them that what was going to happen in Jerusalem. You've got to go back to Matthew and go back to Matthew chapter 16. I'll just give you two examples where Jesus warned and, and, and told his disciples, what was going to happen when they came to Jerusalem. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. 
From that time forward, this is, this is at least a year and a half before the crucifixion. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem. All right, they were fine with that. They said, yeah, you got to go to Jerusalem and you're going to be made king. That's what everybody thought. And he goes on. He must go into Jerusalem, still in verse 21, and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Go to chapter 17, verse 22. 17.22 And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed. you hear that word? The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. Not just, not just killed, but somebody's going to turn on him. Somebody's going to take advantage of him. The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Now they weren't sorry that this was going to happen. They were sorry that he was even talking about such a thing. So you know what I found out? <clears throat> the more I'm saved, the longer I'm saved, the more I go along in the Christian world, I realize this, most people do not believe anything they don't already believe. So the disciples only believed that Jesus, uh, that the Messiah was coming and would be king. And when, no matter what Jesus said, they weren't going to believe anything outside of what they already believed. Don't you be like that. Learn your Bible. Adapt to what the Bible says, not what your church says. Not what the government says. Think for yourself and learn this Bible. Now, after the prophecy, they're coming from scriptures. I want you to see there was a plan that was laid out. Now, it wasn't a very good plan. Look back there in Matthew chapter uh, 26 and verse 14. Matthew 26 and verse 14. <clears throat> Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, one of the chief priests, and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. They said, We'll pay you thirty pieces, thirty silver coins. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now, this was an unfolding plan for Judas. He didn't have it all worked out. It was a work in progress. He just wanted to end up rich. That's all Judas wanted. He just, no matter the cost... Uh, since Jesus wasn't going to make him rich, Judas would use Jesus to get him rich. Sounds like most religions. You know, Jesus is not somebody you should be able to make money off of, and yet people do it. Uh, Jesus is not the foundation of normal, uh, of modern Christianity. He's the foundation of poverty. He's the, uh, the foundation of self-sacrifice. He's the foundation of, of people um, sacrificing their life for others. But uh, most people have made a lot of money off of Jesus, and that's not why Jesus came. Uh, <clears throat> people get upset, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment. People get upset over the fact that Jesus doesn't do things like we want. Uh, so Judas sought to use this opportunity to derail Christ's path to, to the throne. <clears throat> he didn't understand what Jesus was doing. He wasn't thinking about how Jesus was going to get the throne. He says, well, obviously, Jesus had... had just uh, ridden into Jerusalem on a, on a donkey and had fulfilled a prophecy from Zephaniah and Zechariah. And when he came in, everybody thought he's the king. He's going to be king. And Jesus walked out and didn't take the throne. Jesus didn't go get the crown. Jesus didn't start an army. And so Judas says, well, whatever Jesus is going to do from now on, I'm going to, I'm going to hinder it. And he wanted to turn all the other disciples against him. You know, bad attitude wants company. Did you ever notice that? 
you get a bad attitude and all you want to do is destroy everybody else's happiness. <laughs> and so Judas says, I, I'm, I'm going to ruin this thing going on. All they want to do is walk away rich and, and be in the good graces of the religious uh, powers there. He didn't care what he was going to end up doing. I don't think he had an idea how it was going to work out. I don't think he had any idea how far this would go. He just wanted to have the money, and he wanted to show Jesus, I'm my own man, I don't have to follow you um, uh, if it doesn't agree with me. And you know, I, I listen, the biggest problem I have is me. And when I come in conflict with the will of God, I've got to decide, you know, Lord, it doesn't make sense to me. Lord, it's costing me, but I'll follow. And Judas wasn't willing to do that. Now, the next point, I want you to see there in verse 20, still in chapter 26, verse 20, there's a potential for every one of us to betray. Verse 20 starts off, And when the even was come, he sat down with his twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. <clears throat> and they were exceeding sorrowful now, and they began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? I mean, you think about that table. There, Jesus just, I mean, it's been, it's been a joyous time. They've been celebrating the, 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 the deliverance from Egypt and all that God did back um, 1,400 years earlier. And uh, there they were just celebrating this great memorial of the Passover. And Jesus says, by the way, one of you is going to turn on me. One of you is going to sell me out. One of you is going to turn me over to the enemy and going to try to ruin everything. And, and the, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, Lord, could it be me? I mean, they were terrified at that thought. And it ought to be terrifying. <clears throat> Every one of those great apostles realized they had the potential to ruin the work of God for selfish reasons. He says right there, uh, um, verse uh, 21, he says, One of you shall betray me. You know, it's still true. It's still true today that it's potential in every one of us to ruin the work of God, especially in somebody else's life, especially in a church. We can get a bad attitude. We can get a hurt. We can keep a hurt. We can keep it going so that nothing gets done. Potential betrays in all of us. So don't just look bad on, on Judas. Now, Judas has got his own problems. But don't, you, don't you join with him and say, you know, it doesn't matter if I betray him. It matters. It matters. <clears throat> Then fourthly, there's a price to pay for the betrayal. Verse 26, still in Matthew 26, verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and then he broke it. He did it on purpose. He right in front of them meticulously took the effort to break that bread, and then he gave it to each one of his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is now my body. Now, he didn't turn that bread into flesh. That, that's cannibalism. What he did was he made an illustration. He said, look, he said, this is my body, which, he, and, and, um, uh, uh, and he says later on, that which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and, and gave it unto them, saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed, broken body, shed blood for the remission of sins. So what's the price for the betrayal? It's the ultimate price. That betrayal is what's going to set in motion. Jesus is not going to walk up and just lay himself down on a cross. No. A different whole plan has... Jesus has to wait for human beings to cry out, crucify him. The very ones that Jesus had healed, the very people that Jesus had loved and had, had lived with and ministered to and taught, 
that very same crowd, he had to wait for them to turn on him and to betray him. And the price of that betrayal was the brutal death of the Messiah, where an innocent man named Jesus would die for 30 pieces of silver? No. For more than that, die for the sins of the whole world. You know, what was the cost? What was the price of that betrayal? It was the destruction, or so it seemed, of all that Jesus had accomplished in his life. As far as the disciples are concerned, when Jesus handed himself over to that mob there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they tied him up, and they dragged him to Caiaphas, and then to, to uh, Annas, and then to Pilate, and before the crowd, and all that, as far as they were concerned, everything was ruined. That was the price of that betrayal. But there was more going on, a lot more going on than what they knew, and what they could see, praise God. You see, salvation was being accomplished. The plan of God was at work. This was not, somebody says, well, this was of the devil. It was not of the devil. This was God at work. Now, I want to get to the point of the offense of the betrayal. I mean, when I say the offense, I mean the stench of it, the abhorrence of it. Now, the offense of the betrayal, the reaction to the betrayal. Verse 31. Look at verse 31. Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be what? Offended. All of you are going to get upset because of me. Underline those three words because we're going to come back to them. All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after that I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Go down to verse 69. Well, just hold there for a second. We'll come to that in a moment. Because the cross is offensive. It's, offen it's, it's as offensive as the electric chair. I don't know if you realize, when we talk about the cross, we're talking about something that kills people. And if I sat down and I started talking about an electric chair at a coffee table with somebody at a coffee shop or whatever, hopefully when we get back to that, you know, people will recoil and pull back and go, what are you talking about? That's awful. Yeah, of course it is. But when we talk about the cross, it is offensive. Uh, it offends so many people. Um, it offends, it offends that, that that's how God would have to die because of our sins. It's offensive that he had to go to that extreme. Why couldn't God just forgive everybody? Why can't God just love everybody? Why can't he just overlook all this stuff? But Jesus didn't say that bad people would get offended. He said his disciples were going to get offended. He said that you're going to be offended not because of persecution, you're going to be offended not because of the cross, but because of me. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. Jesus said, guess what? I'm going to disappoint you. Guess what? I'm going to upset you royally. I will be the reason why you stop following me and why you stop trusting me. It won't be Jesus. Judas, you can't blame Judas for the fact that you're not in church. You can't blame Judas for the fact that you're not trusting Jesus Christ. You can't blame anybody. You know who you're blaming when you try to come up with a reason why you're not doing what God asks you to do and what God calls you to do? It's because you're upset at Jesus. You may think you're upset at somebody, but you're upset at Jesus. Whew. So let's look at uh, the results of the betrayal. Back there in verse 33... Peter answered and said to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now that's commendable. That's an honorable uh, uh, determination. 
But he says, uh, verse 34, Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, not ten years from now, but this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter said unto him, back, I mean, that was just, that was offensive to him. He said, how dare you, Jesus? How could you even think of that? Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. And likewise said all the other disciples. Now, you've got to understand what Judas' betrayal does. It changes everything. It exposes everything in the hearts of those disciples. You know, all their expectations and all their confusion are exposed by that betrayal that night. I found that no matter how committed or how faithful or how determined a person may be to not be offended, to not become upset at Jesus, it still happens. In the end, all the disciples failed. All the disciples got upset. All the disciples walked away. They were unable to wrestle. Look there in verse 36. <clears throat> Jesus Came, uh, then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane, saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Stay awake. Pay attention. Stay vigilant. Pray like it matters. For everybody's life. Verse 39, He went a little further, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I mean, they, sh they could hear him. They could see him. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh back unto the disciples, and he findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me just one hour? So, they failed. In this time of his greatest need... And when, when warfare had to be fought in a different way than most wars ever fought, and that is in prayer, they were unable to wrestle. Not only were they unable to wrestle, they were unable to follow. Look at verse 46. Rise, Jesus said there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth, here's our word, betray me. And while he yet spake, to, uh, spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. He that, here's our word, he that betrayed him, gave him a sign, saying, now again, it's dark. I don't know if there's moonlight or not, but they're in the midst of trees, in the midst of a garden that has olive trees everywhere. And so it's dark, and he says, I'll, I'll point him out. You don't know which one of those 12 of Jesus, and when I see him, I'll kiss him, and that's the one I want you to grab. Now he that betrayed him, verse 48, gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he hold him fast. And in, in the Middle East, and a lot of places, go to France, go to Spain, people kiss on the side. It's a sign of affection. It's a sign of, of, uh, of uh, greeting. And so Judas goes right up to him and greets Jesus like he's the best friend ever. Verse, in verse 15, Jesus said to him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Uh, then came they, and they laid hands on Jesus, and they took him. <clears throat> Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And Jesus should have started clapping. 
at least in the mind of Peter, because this is Peter. And then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then, watch it, shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it must be. And in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and stays? For to take me, I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him, watch it, and fled. What just happened? They were unable to follow I mean, when, when Peter's there and he draws that sword and he starts to fight, he says, I'm going to stay with you to the end. And Jesus says, stop. I won't let you. See, Jesus stopped him. A soldier didn't stop him. Another disciple did. Jesus stopped him from following Jesus the way Peter wanted to follow him. He was unable to stand and testify. He was unable to be close to Jesus without shame and without embarrassment. Verse 69. Go down to verse 69. This is all the night of what we call the betrayal. Verse 69, it says this. Now Peter sat within, without in the palace. He's out, sitting outside of where Jesus was. And a damsel came to him saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And he was gone out to the porch. Another maid saw him and said unto him that there were uh, that were there. This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, verse seventy-two. I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them. Watch it, for thy speech bereath thee. That bereath, just another version of the word betrayeth thee. Your speech tells us you're from Galilee. The way you talk tells us you're one of his disciples. So Peter changes his speech in verse 74. Then began he to curse. You know, Christians shouldn't curse. You know, the world even knows that. Your friends who, who, who <clears throat> think you're weird know you should never curse. Then he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man, and immediately the cock crew. He was unable to to uh, stand close to Jesus. He wasn't even able to stay within 50 feet of him because Jesus was in there. Peter wouldn't walk and go stand there with him. Jesus had, had done things so differently, so confusingly, that Peter, when even the slightest amount of pressure came on him, he betrayed him. He stayed back. There's one other thing I thought about. The results of that betrayal, they were unable to trust. And that's the whole basis for their problem. They didn't trust that Jesus knew what he was doing. They gave up on him instead. And they stopped following him. They stopped trusting him completely. You know, when you lose trust in what Jesus Christ's will for your life is, when you lose trust in it, you say, I don't understand God's will. I don't understand this pain. I don't understand this hurt. I don't understand this situation. It... it what your, what your problem is not with the situation, your problem is with Jesus. You've, you don't trust him that he knows where you're at, and he knows how to get you through it. Now, i got one other thought here. I don't know if you can see it. Jesus pressed on anyways. Think about it. Look at verse back there in chapter 26, verse 26. 
And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know what he's saying? Guys, I'm going and I'm going to die. And then we'll see each other again. I'm going to stay the course. He went through those beatings. He went through that long night of praying with great drops of sweat of blood. He went through those beatings, the whippings, and the walk up Golgotha. He willingly laid down his arms onto the bars of that cross. And he did this alone and abandoned by everyone. Nothing was going to stop him from going through the cross. And nothing was going to stop him because of you, because of me. That's his commitment to us. Now let me try to wrap this thing up and get you to what must be learned from the betrayal. There's four or five things we've got to learn from betrayal. Number one, not everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus is one. I hope you figure that out by now. Hope you realize just everybody who, who acts like a Christian, who talks like a Christian, who has a Bible, even reads the Bible, who goes to church, doesn't mean that they're actually going to heaven. You know, Judas looked like, smelled like, walked like, acted like, or even talked like a follower of Jesus. None of the disciples ever had a single moment's doubt of whether Judas was saved or lost. But Jesus said he was of the devil. He was a secret thief. He was lost. He was only following Jesus for the promise of wealth. He was only following Jesus for the promise of power. He couldn't wait to maybe become the exchequer. He wanted to be in the department of the treasury. He, 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 just, he, he just wanted that power in the kingdom. And he was only following Jesus for the promise of success and prosperity. You know, there are a lot of people who are too busy this morning maybe in their pillow or maybe doing their business or whatever, if they had a church building or if a famous preacher was preaching, oh, they'd go and listen to him. But you know, if they had to turn on YouTube and humble themselves and get ready for church like normal and sit down through some uh, stumbling through and fumbling through preacher of the gospel, humbled and, and they're, not, they're not being encouraged about themselves, they're not being encouraged to how to be a success, they're not being encouraged how to be happy. You know, how many people tune in? I know how few. But I wonder how many. See, it's the same today. People follow Jesus for a while. You know why? Because they met a girl who went to a church. And so they go to the church and they act like it because they want the girl. Some people follow Jesus for a while so they can meet other Christians. And they can make them into clients. Try to get them to participate in their business opportunity. I'm here to ask you to examine yourself, dear friend. See if you're truly saved or just a fake and a fraud like Judas was. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. You know, I wouldn't trust anybody who just claims to be a doctor. They may wear the outfit. They may have a stethoscope around their neck. You better find out their credentials before they pull out that, that knife and start cutting you open. Number two, money usually determines most of your beliefs. People usually follow their jobs. They follow sports opportunities, popularity, they follow their family, but they do not follow the Lord Jesus. Because if following Jesus costs you any of that, most people just say, forget it. I want to get, not give, is the natural reaction of a person. 
So if you lose your wealth and your health, your career and your friends to follow Jesus, you should be okay with that. Go to Matthew chapter 10. You're in Matthew 26. Go to Matthew chapter 10. You can leave Matthew 6, 26. We're finished with that for now. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. <clears throat> he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy. It doesn't say that you shouldn't love them. But if you love them more than Jesus. He that loveth his sports. He that loveth his pillow. He that loveth his job. He that loveth his career. He that loveth himself. More than he loves God is not worthy of following Jesus Christ. Verse 38 goes on. He that taketh not, taketh not his own cross. See, if Jesus goes on the cross and if it's going to cost you a cross to follow him, take it up. If it's going to cost you your life to follow him, pay it. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, he that findeth his life in this world is going to lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake, guarantee you'll find it. You'll find it. You know, if you're not okay with loss, then you need to sell it. If you're not okay with losing things and losing your health and losing sometimes even members of your family, if you're not okay with losing that job opportunity, that sport opportunity, if you're not okay with losing that, then money is your God. Popularity is your Lord and not Jesus. If stock markets and economic indicators are your guide for life, then it's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. Money usually determines your beliefs. If you believe that Bible, you got to be willing to lose everything. That's a Christian life. Number three, every Christian has the potential to become offended at Jesus. That's very important to understand. None of us can ever say we would never hurt the cause of Christ. Because sadly, we will. Your attitudes at home can blaspheme Christ and destroy the work of Christ. Your bad testimony at work or your no testimony at work can do more damage than all of Hollywood could ever do. Just one offended Christian can really ruin a lot of good things. Be careful, you're not offended. Don't ever think you'll never sin in such and such a way against God. You have no idea what you'll do when things get confusing, when things get hard, when things go wonky. When Jesus takes you down a, a narrow and hard path, it doesn't make any sense. Don't say you'll never quit church. Don't ever say you won't quit soul winning or self-sacrificing because people do it all the time. Committed people do it. It's faithful people who determine, I'll never, well, they do it. The fact that most Christians today don't care what the Bible says and really don't want anything to do with the Bible or church anymore tells me there are a whole lot of people who are offended at Jesus. Oh, they may blame other Christians. And there's enough blame to go around. You know, if you wanted to, you could blame just about everybody. Because every one of us are flawed. Every one of us hurt one another. But people blame other Christians. They blame their parents for their cruel upbringing. They may even blame themselves. But their problem really is Jesus. People are afraid uh, that he has offended them. Because he's not doing what they want it done. We ponder that for a moment. You see, when we pray and we ask God to do something, He doesn't do it for us, we get offended. When we ask and say, Lord, uh, I believe that girl ought to be interested in me, God, and she doesn't get interested in you, you get upset at Jesus. 
when we pray and God doesn't do what we want, when we set out and we say, Lord, I'm going to do things right. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to uh, get on my prayer list every day. I'm going to sacrifice my life every day. And I, and I expect to be blessed for it. And when you're not, you get upset. Isn't that interesting? Every Christian's potential to become upset at Jesus. If you ever going to learn, if you ever learn to love the brethren, it'll be because you love Jesus, not because they're easy to love. Can I say that again? If you're going to ever learn to love the brethren, other Christians, it'll be because you love Jesus, not because the brethren are easy to love. If you can't love the brethren, it's not because of the brethren. It's because you no longer love Jesus Christ like you should. If you ever give up, if you ever give and tithe, it'll be because you love Jesus. If you stop giving, it'll be because you've stopped loving Jesus. The only reason why I give is not because of the need, not because of the pressure, not because of the list of things I'm supposed to do. It's because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I make him first, not only in, in, uh, on the first day of the week of Sunday with my time, but also with my tithe. I make him first in everything in my life, I hope. Third point, betrayal still hurts Jesus. So how can that be? Jesus is in heaven. He's in paradise. He must be insulated from all of these things that we do. That's not true. You know, the Bible says he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He still grieves when we hurt. He's, the Bible says it, it affects him when we hurt. He feels our deepest woes. His heart is touched with our deepest infirmities. But let me tell you, I got news for you. It hurts him when a Christian gets upset at him and stops trusting him. Just like it hurts you when people misunderstand you and falsely blame you and turn away from you. If it didn't, go to John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6. If you think it doesn't affect him, then he wouldn't have cared to ask his disciples, when everybody was leaving, he wouldn't have cared to ask them, are you also going to go away? Look at John chapter 6 and verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? You also going to leave? Why would he care if he didn't care? Why would he ask if he didn't care? It hurt. So when we get to heaven, i got news for you. I guarantee you, Jesus is going to ask a lot of why questions. You may have a lot of why questions. But you better get ready for the fact that God's going to ask you a lot of why questions. Like, why did you give up on me there and there and there? You had my promises. You knew I never will fail you. Why did you give up on me? Why did you ignore my word there and there and there? Why do you think you were smarter than me? Why do you think you knew better than me so many times? There are going to be a lot of why questions. Because it hurts. What we do is not just wrong that is wrong. It hurts. One of the commandments is thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Why? Because that hurts God. That, that stabs God in the heart. That blames God. That mocks God. Betrayal still hurts Jesus Christ. Don't you live like it doesn't matter. How you live. As a matter of fact, betrayal costs everybody. That betrayal cost Jesus Christ his life. And okay, all right, it's part of the plan. 
but it also cost Judas his sanity. Back there in Matthew 27, you know what it says? It says Judas, when he saw how everything went south and how Jesus was being led up that, that hill to Golgotha and going to be crucified, Judas went out and he hanged himself. His betrayal cost him his sanity. Not only that, it cost Peter his testimony and his power with God for a while. We read that there in Matthew chapter 27, after he denied Jesus three times, he went out and he wept bitterly. That betrayal cost everybody. And it'll cost you and me when we're so quick to not trust the Lord. This is the time for Christians to trust the Lord. Say, how am I going to get enough money to feed my family? Pray. Trust God. I've not seen the righteous forsaken ever, nor their seed begging bread, David said. You can trust it. Now, if you just, if you do nothing, if you do absolutely nothing and just sit there and not even pray, not even seek God's um, um, uh, um, uh, guidance, don't seek God's guidance on how to provide for your family in this time, let me tell you, if you're not trusting God, then don't expect anything from Him. But if you trust Him, but if you trust Him, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. Folks, um, if we don't trust, it's just going to cost us. Our families need to see us trust God. <clears throat> Christians need to see other Christians trusting God. The world needs to see Christians trusting in the Lord, not in our government. I mean, everybody wants to bail out. Everybody wants to be taken care of. Don't you dare sit there and go, well, that's all we need. That's not what we need. We need to pray. We need to humble ourselves. We need God in our nation. We don't need money. Because there is none. They're printing it. It's just paper. You might as well just go pull out the Monopoly set and start paying money with it. You know what's happened in the next two years? I'm going to prophesy. You know what it is? Inflation. Collapse. All in the name of people thinking that the government can take care of them. We need God. And this is not over when we all get back to our jobs and stuff like this. There's going to be a price to pay for the sins of our nations. That's enough for another message. Betrayal costs everybody. Your betrayal of your life of Christ, for Christ can affect everything from your family on out. Don't let that ripple effect, that domino effect, start anywhere where you say, you know, Lord, I'm going to stop trusting you. I'm going to stop doing what I No, I'm going to stay faithful. Because let me tell you this. There's some good parts. Jesus knew. Did you know Jesus knew about Peter's upcoming denial? And yet he loved him anyway. He prayed for Peter anyway. He says, Peter, but I prayed for you. I know you're going to deny me. I know you're going to walk away from me. But I prayed for you. And I'm committed to using you. As soon as you fall and collapse and, and, and get defeated, three days later, I'll rise from the dead and I'll call for you by name to meet me up in Galilee and we'll start again. Peter, I'm not going to ever let go of you. Here's the good part. It never ends with Jesus Christ. You may collapse, but he doesn't. Everything that happened was planned, and it turned out fine. The cross was not the end of Jesus. It was not the ruin of the gospel. It was not the defeat of Christianity. There was a resurrection coming. Everything happened for the good, so that anyone, no matter how sinful, no matter how far away, could come straight to God and be forgiven all through Jesus. What does that mean? Not through your best efforts. Well, I'm trying my best. Well, that may be good enough for your company, that may be good enough for the government, but it's not good enough for God. You can come straight to God, not through some religious good works like your baptism. 
If you think baptism is a gateway to grace, you're wrong. That's what Catholicism teaches, not what the Bible teaches. If you think you go through some church or religious organization, you're in a cult. But when you come through a betrayed and crucified Jesus Christ, you get God. You get forgiveness. You get a new life. So even though, even though, we're, uh, even though we're weak, hold on here, I thought I had another point here. Even though we're weak and we fail at various times, Jesus still calls us to wrestle our enemies in prayer. Even though he knew Jesus, uh, Peter and all of them are going to go to sleep, he says, let's try. He calls on us to stay faithful. Especially in the hard times when things don't make sense. Just do what he said do. No matter how, what it will cost you. And he calls us to stay close to him. Have your own private worship time. Just stay close to him even though the whole world may think low of you and mock you and reject you. Persecute you. Just stay close to Jesus and trust him. Trust him. Oh, that was my point. I didn't get that there. Here's the conclusion. The gospel is all about the cross. Sorry to disappoint you. It's not about you. It's about what God had to do to save you. It doesn't make much sense to most people. That God, think about it. It doesn't make much sense that God would love you enough to take the punishment for your sins upon himself. But he had to. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. It always is. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. God would love you enough to take your place in betrayal, in crucifixion for you. He did it. I mean, it doesn't make sense. I mean, this is the backwards, inside out type of story, but that's God. He did. He accepted death. You know, he's the one that died, not Mary, not blessed John the Baptist. He died like we should have died, abandoned, cursed, and punished for all our sins under the righteous wrath of God. So what do we do now? What are you going to do now? Well, you only have one way of escape from the judgment of God that's to come. Turn away from your sin. I mean, it is a decision where you, you cannot live it but you can decide to turn away from it and say, Lord, I trust Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Him. Like you have to sometimes trust a doctor, you have to trust a mechanic, or you have to trust somebody to carry you over something. You've got to trust that Jesus Christ can save you. He promised it. That's the whole reason why He came. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to save. Dear Christian, you have only one life to live, and it will soon be passed. I mean, the trumpet, light, trumpet blow may sound any time, and it'll all be over, and you'll wish you had more time. Don't betray his love for you. Don't betray his work on you. Don't sell it out. You know, if you've got a talent, make sure you use it for God. Don't use it for the company. If you've got a talent, don't you use it for, for your own success. Use it for God first. And don't sell out his will for you. If God calls you to give your life up, if God calls you to go to the hardest place and preach to the, the most aggressive, most, most vicious people in the world, if God calls you to do that, you do that. Don't betray it. Don't you betray your calling. You say, I'm not very good. Nobody's good. 
See, we get all these, I'm, I'm so honored that you're watching YouTube, watching Facebook, whatever you're watching me on. It's an honor because there's 30,000 other people you could be watching. Most people will watch the, the performers, the watch the musicians, the watch the polished. But if God calls you to stand up and preach and stutter and spit and fumble through, preach! Pour your heart out and call. Call men and women, boys and girls, to repent and to follow Jesus Christ. Don't you betray that call. Don't you betray that will of God for you, whatever it may cost you. Accept His way. You know what His way is? It's called the crucified life, dear, dear friend. It's the crucified life. And there's no better way to live. If you ever betray that and say, well, I'd like a little bit of luxury. I'd like a little bit of money. You, you'll find it. You can get it. There's money to be made, folks. But there's a Christian life. Don't you betray it. If God calls you to a different path, you do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we often blame Judas as the only one that betrayed Jesus. We often only think that it was him that was at work trying to destroy the work of God. But it's constantly us. And here we are on the week before the resurrection, the week in which Jesus was crucified, and there's some lessons to learn from the betrayal of Jesus. Lord, we betray you. We betray a lot of people but we betray you. And I don't know how we could ever be sorry enough. I just understand this. You love enough to cover it. You cover a multitude of sins. Lord, we've been betrayed and we betray. Teach us how to love one another and to cover a multitude of those sins. But Lord, our betrayal first is worse when we reject and neglect the love of God and we walk through life, without hope, without God in our life, and we end up in hell for all eternity. We betray the love of God, and we reject it, and we walk away from it because we don't understand it. Because we think it's not what we want. Lord, it's the only way. There is no other way to God. There's no other way to be forgiven. no other way to get into heaven. There's no other way to have eternal life. So if that offends anybody, let them be offended. Let them be offended decide, you know what, Lord, I don't agree with it, but I believe it. I don't understand it, but I trust it. Let somebody cry out to you right now to get saved. I mean, born again. I didn't know what that meant when, when somebody asked me, you ready to get saved? But I knew I didn't want to go to hell. I knew I didn't want to end up in, 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 in under the wrath of God. I wanted to be forgiven. And so from my heart, with words that don't matter, but with a cry that, that, that was from my heart for God to save a wretch like me, you did. Let somebody else cry out to the God of heaven who became a man and died for them, rose again. Help somebody cry out to you too. And Lord, for the Christian, may we resolve that that betrayal was from a familiar friend Someone who was always at church. Someone who, who knew the Bible backwards and forwards. Someone who had all the talents. Hmm. I wonder how many times we betray you, Lord. And we say no to the will of God. We say no to the work of God. We reject what you're trying to do in our lives. We reject the, the pain and, and, the, and, and the path that you call us on. 
and we betray you. I pray we wake up and go, I gotta stop this. I want to work in the kingdom of God. I want to work for the king of kings. I want my life to matter. Lord, I pray Christians would decide that today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to uh, ask you, um, I just prayed, but I'm going to ask you to pray with me one more time for our nation. Uh, and would you let me know, if you if God dealt with you about something, man, would you just text me and let me know? Just would encourage me. Say, yeah, Lord, that... Uh, Pastor, that, that affected me. That helped me. And then right now, I want you to commit that you're going to pray for our nation. Pray for Ireland. I mean, where you're living, I don't know, maybe you live in America or France, or I don't care where you're at. Would you pray for your nation? Because this whole world, this is not a community problem. This isn't even a national problem. This is a worldwide problem. It's called sin. And sin's catching up with us. This is not going to be over when they tell us we can go back to work. We need to pray for our nations. Times are going to get hard. Maybe we'll come out of them. Maybe we'll bounce back. I hope so. But maybe not. I think God has given us enough grace. I think time's running out. So we need to pray for our nation. If you're still alive and breathing, we need to pray. So let's pray for our nation, pray for our health workers, and pray for our, each other. Father, one more time I pray for Ireland. This is where I live. This is the land I love. Lord, I don't mind dying here. God, I would love if, if my life would count for just one more person to get saved. Lord, I pray for Ireland, God, to turn back to you. There was a time, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we're not talking about Catholic Ireland, we're talking about Bible-believing Ireland, born-again Ireland, where people had the simplicity of the gospel. People preached and gathered, they didn't meet with all the fancy religious paraphernalia, they just had an old stone, stone building, they got together and they heard preaching, they heard the gospel, and they loved Jesus. Please help Ireland to get back to that where the Bible was exalted, where Jesus was worshipped, and where a nation was reached with preaching. Save our nation, God. Lord, I thank you for hospitals, I thank you for all these people. They're terrified. They're terrified just as much as, as normal people are. They don't want to get sick. They don't want to spread to their families. They don't want to die. So, Lord, here we are asking for their protection. I ask you that you would. God, the nurses, the doctors, everybody that works in hospitals, Lord, would you please protect them? And I pray for Christians. We're kind of holed up. We're away from where we should be. <clears throat> we're supposed to be deployed. We're supposed to be out on highways and hedges, and, and we're having to be at home. Give us wisdom how to be a bright, shining light, a city on a hill, in spite of the fact we're shut down. Lord, would you please help the lost still hear the gospel? I know people are getting saved. I hear of it all the time. I'm so grateful. Would it happen, please, in our midst? Please bless your people. Keep us encouraged. Don't ever let us get to the place where we believe the news over the good news over this book of books. We know this is supposed to happen, so help us to look up and not be locked down. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.